It was during the dark days of World War II. Uh, England had a great deal of difficulty keeping men in the coal mines um, because the, the thing for men to do was to be in the army or at sea and all of that. And that was where uh, the praise was. That was where the thanks was and the, uh, the reputation and all of that. And so being down in the coal mines was kind of a thankless job that tended to make one feel devalued and unimportant. Like everyone else, those coal miners really wanted a job that made them feel socially acceptable and gave them a sense of recognition and importance and that they were doing something valuable. So with this in mind, Winston Churchill um, spoke to tens of, of thousands or thousands of coal miners and he was stressing to them the importance of their role in the war and all that they were doing. And so he asked them to picture in their minds a great parade that was going to be held on VE Day uh, when there was victory in Europe uh, over Germany. And he said, first of all, there would come sailors in the British Navy. And, uh, you know, they had saved England in numerous times before. Um, and so he talked about that. And then, then he said next in the parade would come the, um, the pilots of the Royal Air Force. And they were the ones who more than anyone else had saved England from the dreaded um, German Air Force and all of that. Next in the parade would come the army. And uh, they were the ones who stood tall and stood shoulder to shoulder uh, in the crisis of Dan Dunkirk. And uh, they, they belonged in that long parade. But then he said, last of all, he, there would come this long line of sweat-stained, soot-streaked men in miners' caps. And he said, someone would cry out from the crowd, where were you during the critical days of the struggle? And then he said, from 10,000 throats would come. We were deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. We cut the coal that fueled the ships and hauled the supplies. That day, those coal miners had been given a sense of their own self-worth by the man at the top in Europe. And it changed the whole course of World War II in Europe because all of a sudden they no longer struggled like they had to keep men down in the coal mines. I want to talk to you today about service as a Christian. Service is one of those sweat-stained, soot-streaked words. It's not one of those words that you just come to church all excited about hearing about. Because it's not an exciting word. There isn't much about it that is glamorous or attractive. But and even you look at the 12 disciples, and they were much more interested in being considered great in the eyes of Jesus, or in the eyes of the world, than they were about being servants in the eyes of the Lord Jesus. Frank Warren says, if you wish to be a leader, you're going to be frustrated. Because very few people wish to be led. <laughs> if you want to be a servant, you won't be so frustrated. <laughs> Jesus has called us, every one of us, 
If we are his people, if we, if we claim to be Christians, he has called us to be servants. Now, I want, first of all, to just look at some of the benefits of service. Uh, what good does it do for you and I to be servants? It actually does us some good. Um, first of all, service provides the very grounds of our faith. First Timothy chapter 3, Paul is talking to Timothy about deacons in the church. And we don't have deacons per se here, but lay ministers in the church uh, is what he was talking about. He said, those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. It is through serving that you and I become grounded in our faith, that there is this foundation and we, we feel strong in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you don't get that if you're not serving. There is a shallowness that will come to your Christian walk if you are not serving somewhere. One of the other things that service will do is it will take your eyes off yourself. Every one of us can find days when we just want to mope. And when we get into service, when we start ministering to the needs of other people, that's when we get the realization that comes to us, oh, there's other people with way bigger problems than I have. (laughs) And that lifts our spirits up and gives us a right attitude. Secondly, I want to say that holiness without service becomes rancid. Holiness without service becomes rancid. We are, as Wesleyans, unapologetically holiness people. We believe that God calls every Christian, not just some, every Christian to a holy life. We believe that God wants you, and what that means is God wants to change your life so that you become more and more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ every day that you live for him. We say that without any apologies whatsoever. God wants you and he wants me to be holy. Having said that, there are two kinds of holiness. There is a good holiness, a Christ-like holiness, and a rancid holiness that reeks and stinks and pollutes the church. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, The scribes, the teachers of the law, they were holiness people, but their holiness was absolutely rancid. Nobody wanted it. It didn't attract anyone at all. They used their holiness to draw attention to themselves instead of to the living God. That is a rancid holiness. And if you are living your Christian life and you are not serving somewhere someplace, I can guarantee that your holiness will turn rancid. It will become unattractive. Nobody will want the kind of holiness that you have. Because holiness requires service. Service does something that brightens up holy living. It is the difference between a river and a swamp. 
A river, water comes down the mountain and flows and just keeps around flowing by. You can take water out of that river and drink it and it's just nice and clear and, and all of that and wonderful. But, you know, I've seen some swamps and I just don't want to even, I don't even want to go in there. I don't even want to take a bath in there. I don't want to go swimming. My son Caleb probably would. He's not scared of that kind of stuff. But, a swamp is certainly water that you don't drink. Because it comes in and it just sits there and does nothing. If you have the kind of holiness that just plops you somewhere and you've been sanctified and you're holy and this and that and something and you're not moving any muscles, I'll guarantee your holiness reeks to the people around you. It does no earthly good. My next point is this. Service mentors us in holy living. In other words, the reason that service is so critical to a holy life is that you will never learn what it means to be holy if you are not doing something. You cannot become holy without action. Because you will never understand it. When you start serving, you will be put, you will put yourself in circumstances and in relationships and in environments that are not comfortable, that are not natural to you. And you will have to figure out what it means to be like Jesus in that relationship, in that environment, in that group. And as you figure that all out, you'll make some mistakes, by the way. Holiness people make mistakes. If you're serving, you're going to make some mistakes. There's nothing about holiness that says you have to be perfect. And if you think that's what holiness is, you will sit and do nothing the rest of your life. Holiness people will make mistakes as they figure out, as they go into new environments and new circumstances and new relationships, they will make mistakes, but they will always be trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Christ follower in this relationship, in this environment, in this group setting. And everywhere you go, when you go to work or you start a new job, you've got to figure out what does it mean to follow Christ here. And so I tell you that service is what mentors us in holy living. If you're not serving, you're never going to figure out what it means to be holy. The Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, they never figured out what it meant to be holy because they never served anyone but themselves. Fourth, service exercises the gifts that God has given to us. You and I are bad stewards. If God has given us abilities and talents and gifts and all of that kind of stuff, and we don't use them. 1 Peter chapter 4 um, says to us, I'm going to skip down there uh, to verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in his various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides. 
so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So when we serve, we do it so that God is praised. Now, the last thing that I want to say is a benefit, and I'm sure there are many other benefits to service, but the last thing I'm going to bring up today is that service provides the avenue to fruitfulness. It is not until you start serving in some place that you have to sacrifice yourself. Anytime you serve anywhere, it's going to keep you from doing something you want to do. You have never truly served if you haven't had the sacrifice to do it. You had to quit doing something you wanted to do, whether it's watching TV or, you know, or if you served by giving some money to something, you took money that you were going to spend over here, and now you're doing that with it. Whatever you do in service, it's going to cost you something. But service provides that avenue to fruitfulness and you will never produce fruit in your life until you die to self. It is in dying to self that you and I become productive. John chapter 12, verse 24 through 26, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Gary's got some grain bents full of seed. I will guarantee if he just leaves them for 10 years, he will have the same amount of seeds in this grain bin as he has today. It's not going to reproduce in the bin. It never does. It never has. And if you and I are just sitting still and not serving, we will not produce. We will not be fruitful and effective. And so Jesus says we have to die. The farmer has to take the seed, till the ground, plant the seed, and let it grow. And then it produces many more seeds. Wow. I want us to look at some examples in the scriptures of service. What, what intrigued me is that most of them were not very favorable environments. <laughs> I, I, in fact, I had a hard time finding examples in Scripture where people would go, Yes, I get to serve here! Yeah. There's... Yeah. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> There's Joseph... He's sold by his brothers. Sold by his brothers. And he gets sold down into Egypt. And when he gets there, he is, he is purchased by Potiphar and he becomes his slave, his servant. And what does Joseph do? He doesn't serve just as a slave, but he chooses to serve Potiphar to the very best of his ability. Now, that's not the kind of environment where I'm naturally going to be inclined just to serve with joy. And then there's Pharaoh. And, and, and actually, before Pharaoh comes along, Potiphar's wife decides that she wants to go to bed with Joseph, and he refuses. And so uh, she accuses him of rape, falsely accuses him, and he gets put in prison. 
And when he's in prison, in a dungeon, not nice prisons like we have today, but in this dungeon, Joseph decides to do one thing. He decides to serve. That would not have been top of my priority list. But Joseph decided to serve in prison. And then two guys had a dream. He interpreted those dreams. He told them, now when you get out of here, remember me. They didn't remember him. (laughs) Joseph decided he was still going to serve. Later on, Pharaoh has a dream. All of a sudden, the cupbearer remembers Joseph in prison. He says, I know a guy that can interpret that dream for you. So he gets called up. And, and what does Joseph do for Pharaoh? Number one in the land, he decides to serve him. <laughs> and he serves him by storing up grain during years of plenty. And he distributes it for seven years during years of famine. And, and sometimes we would have gotten so down on our luck if you'd walked through those years of Joseph that we would have just moped around and done nothing. But Joseph said, no, in this I am going to serve regardless of what happens. And God used him to save the world, save thousands and thousands and thousands of people from starvation, not only in Egypt, but around the world, and save the family line of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so that you and I one day would have a Savior who would come because of them. Joseph served. There were the Israelites who went into captivity. We talked about them a little bit in Sunday school this morning. The Israelites who, because of their sin, God sent them to Babylon and Assyria. And if I had been an Israelite, one of God's people, and and because of my sin, God had shipped me off uh, to some other nation and just let them do whatever they wanted to me, um, I might have had a little bit of a grudge, even though it was my sin that got me there. And what did God tell the Israelites to do? Serve the Babylonians and the Assyrians. Listen to this. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you will prosper. If it prospers, you will prosper. And so God tells the Israelites, while they are slaves and captives over here, serve your captives, your captors. And so they served in the land of their captivity. And that's how you and I get the story of Daniel. Daniel was a great example, and he served under three kings. He served under the kings Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, and Belshazzar. And it was through Daniel's service that even people, they wanted to just get rid of Daniel. They didn't like his stand for God. And so they formulated a plan in which Daniel would get killed and he would be thrown in the lion's den. And and, um, King Darius came to recognize by watching Daniel that, you know, Daniel, his, his God was for real. And in in Daniel chapter 6, verse 16, it says, So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. And you know the rest of the story, how 
the next morning, they went down there and the king came out to find out if Daniel was still alive. And Daniel said, yes, my God has shut the, shut the mouths of the lions. And then they went and got the guys who made up the whole plan and threw them down there and got Daniel out. But Daniel was a servant while he was in Babylon. You go to the New Testament and, and you know, we don't understand. We know that slavery in the New Testament was a great deal different than slavery in our, in our American heritage and all of that. But there were slaves in the New Testament and there were many Christians who were slaves who were coming to Christ in, in that culture. And what does Paul say to the slaves? He says, serve your masters wholeheartedly as if serving the Lord rather than your masters. In Ephesians chapter 6. But there is really no greater model, no greater example for us in the scriptures than the Lord Jesus. Now there wasn't anyone better, in a better position, not to serve than Jesus. I mean, after all, he is God. King of kings, Lord of lords, God of all creation. He comes here to earth, and if anyone should be served, it should be him. But what does Jesus do? He is the one who serves. When the disciples refuse to wash anyone's feet, because they are too good for that, Jesus gets out the basin and the towel and goes around and starts washing their feet. He humbled himself, Philippians says. He humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 puts it like this. The Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. <laughs> and he says that in the context of disciples who were arguing about whom was great enough to sit at the right and the left of Jesus in his kingdom. And Jesus says to them, you don't understand it. You don't get it. You find greatness in serving. You find greatness in serving. There is a great quote by Dr. Martin Luther King. Everyone can be great. Because everybody can serve. It doesn't matter who you are, you can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. Thank God. You don't have to make your subject and verb tenses agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant. Wow. Every one of us can be a servant there. I mean, the bar <laughs> fits every one of us. We can all serve. Now, there's two instructions, two um, words of direction that I want to give you in regard to service that Jesus makes to us. And, and the first is this. You have to decide whom you will serve. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God 
and money. Now I want to say just something a little bit about that. First of all, if you, when you serve, if in the back of your mind you think you are serving that organization or that family or this, whatever it might be, primarily, you are already headed for trouble. Because you are a Christ follower, your focus always has to be that you are serving Jesus. If you take your eyes off of that and think, well, I am serving my church, or I am serving Bach and Oil Rush Ministries, or I am serving this, or I am serving the Academy, or I am serving Rotary Club, or I am serving that, you are already headed for trouble. You need to know who you are serving. If you start serving other stuff and you aren't truly serving Jesus first and foremost, you will begin to hate Jesus. <laughs> Especially when that organization fails you. Especially when something comes along and disappoints you. You better know that you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ and not people, not organizations, not anything else, not the church even. Somewhere along the line, you'll get hurt, and you don't want to take that out on Jesus. You better know you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ, and Him, and Him only. You cannot serve two masters. Know who you are serving, and keep it close to your heart. If you are serving Jesus at the core of your being, it won't matter so much your reward or lack of reward. Your focus will be on bringing pleasure to the Lord Jesus Christ in your service. The things you serve have a way of becoming Lord over you. The things you serve have a way of becoming a Lord over you, and you have to make a choice every day to serve Jesus so that you can say no to the things you are serving. Because every day there will come a point at which you know you can get so wrapped up in what you're doing that Jesus no longer can tell you yes or no and Jesus doesn't have a veto voice in your life. <laughs> and guess what? Jesus is Lord. He always wants a veto voice. And you may be serving something absolutely wonderful that you would die for. But if you love that thing more than you love Jesus, you've got a problem in your life. You cannot serve two masters. Secondly, I want to say to you this morning, decide how, where, and when you will serve. I want to say, first of all, you ought to serve in an area of strength. You don't want to sign up for the ministry that changes oils, oil for single women if you don't know what, where an oil filter should be found you're probably not going to be very effective. But if you're a mechanic, 
That probably makes more sense for you than teaching Sunday school. Maybe. Not always. Figure out what your strength is, what God has gifted you for, what your talent is, and serve God in that area of strength. Secondly, you should serve God where where you see that God has a need that is designed for you. You should serve God. Um, I, I just think at a minimum, why wouldn't we give God an hour of our week? And you should serve God one hour a week somewhere outside the local church. Not all of your service should be in here. I don't even want it all in here. If our light only shines in here, we haven't made any difference in our culture, in our region, in our county. You know, people come by and see the lights are on. But that's about the only difference we make. We have to get out. There ought to be some place, somewhere, that you give an hour of your week to some kind of ministry. Maybe it's just to a family that you you just decide to take on and minister to. Maybe it's to some organization. Maybe it's Bach and Oil Rush Ministries or the Academy or any number of other uh, ministries or the Good Shepherd Home, whatever it might be. But there is some place where there is a crying need and it's designed around your gift set and all of that. St. Teresa of Avila says, Christ has no body now on earth but ours, no hands but ours, no feet but ours, Ours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion looks out on the world, and it is our feet with which he is able to do good. And ours are the hands with which he is to bless us now. And then thirdly, you need to know when you are going to serve. Now you do that, again, by putting it on your calendar, by scheduling it. Because, just like everything else in your life, if you don't schedule it, it doesn't get done. You have a lot of good intentions. There have been a lot of things you intended to do this last week you didn't do because you didn't put it on your calendar. You didn't prioritize it. The only way you are going to serve God in this world is by putting it on your calendar. Scheduling it. Making that phone call saying, when can I help? What can I do? Until you do that, it will never happen. You'll sit there and be a holiness person taking up a seat. And never serving God with the gifts and abilities he's given you until you schedule it. Until you make the phone call. Until you get out and do something. Now those are tough words, and that's not a good way to end the message. (laughs) But... I want to tell you, I'm looking right there at a guy that serves a lot of time on the fire department. There's a place in our world, our world needs you, and our world needs to see Christians in those places. They need to see what does a Christ follower act like in this situation. And the world will never see Jesus if we don't ever serve.